Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. All right, good morning, Mercy family. Good morning, good morning. Hey, uh, before we hop into the message, today ends up being a pretty exciting day in the life of Mercy Church. Uh, Today and next week, uh, we are hosting interest meetings for the launch of our Union County campus, which we are really excited about. Praise God. So... um, Today, that's going to be after the second service at our Providence Road campus. And next week, it'll be after our nine o'clock service here at our Mercy Northeast campus. So make your plans accordingly, whether it's you or inviting a friend. Man, it's a really exciting time in the life of our church. We're looking forward there. We're just going to tell you a little bit about uh, what we think the Lord is calling us towards with that campus. And uh, here, who might be interested in helping to just go reach people with the gospel. If you're new to our church, that's what we're about. We plant churches, we plant campuses for the same purpose, and that's to reach people with the great hope of the gospel, all right? Um, by way of sort of introduction into today's passage, uh, it couldn't be a bigger shift. We got like the excitement of the future of Mercy Church. Today's passage is just tragic, all right? It's just tragic. We're going to be in 1 Samuel. If you got your Bible, make your way over to 1 Samuel chapter 28. And what we're going to see is the demise, the tragic demise of King Saul. All right. So uh, let me ask you, we're going to see King Saul's worst case scenario play out in real life. All right. It's actually going to happen. Let me ask any of you, do any of you ever play the worst case scenario game in your head? Like you go to like, oh, what's the worst thing that can happen? Let me think on that for a while, right? And whatever, um, I am in my home, that's me. Like I'm the one that does this and I do it too much, right? Um, I do it when I think like any, if I get just a little bit of any kind of sickness, I go to the worst, I've got some tumor somewhere and something's happening, right? It's immediately where my mind goes. When it comes to work, I have this worst case scenario in my mind where I will forget my preaching notebook at my office, and then I will be forced to use an electronic device like an iPad to preach from, and then that thing will go off in the middle of service. This morning, I forgot my notebook at my office, and for the first time in seven and a half years as your pastor, I'm like a millennial, I'm preaching from this screen that I'm just confident is gonna go off at some point. Um, Don't worry, I have paper back up because Proverbs says, be ready at all times when danger strikes, okay? So I got that. But man, I think that is true for uh, all of us to some degree or another, we go through a worst case scenario, right? What I wanna tell you is, Your actual worst case scenario is what we're going to talk about this morning, all right? And it's not rejection of a boyfriend, girlfriend, or even a spouse. It's not losing someone you love. It's not failure or losing a job. It's not even the loss of a child or something like that. What we're going to see today is your actual worst case scenario, which is God himself turning away from you and doing so forever, That's your worst case scenario. That's the scenario that King Saul is going to face. And the great hope for today is that the worst thing that can ever happen to you, if you're in Christ, it can't happen to you. 
That's the great hope that we're going to see unfolded as we go through King Saul's demise. It's a warning for us, but then the great hope of the gospel says the worst thing that can happen to you can't happen to you and calls the believer to rejoice. But if, if you get your heart and mind around that truth, that the worst thing that could happen to you can't happen to you in Christ, Philippians 4, 7 says the peace of Christ will transcend all understanding and guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. What that means is that truth about being secure in Christ from your real worst case scenario, if you'll allow the Lord to go to work in your life, it'll start to inform, though it's kind of like your roots growing deep in the gospel, it'll start to inform the way you deal with those other worst case scenarios. And what happens is peace and security and confidence and comfort start to replace fear in all areas of your life. It's a really beautiful thing that we'll see we'll build towards today, all right? Here's what's gonna happen. We'll see the demise of King Saul. Um, this is gonna be the last weekend in 1 Samuel. Um, spoiler alert, next week we start 2 Samuel, okay? Uh, so here's kind of how this works. It used to just be Samuel, all right? But it was a scroll that just got out of control with how big the thing was as they were recording it, recording it. Um, so they said, you know what? We need to divide this thing up. So we're gonna make two scrolls the first Samuel and second Samuel, all right? So it's really one whole thing and it would be a pretty sad way to end if we ended here at the end of first Samuel. So we're gonna go over and start second Samuel, but second Samuel is gonna go a lot faster. Um, so you just kind of have to buckle up for that, all right? But today, King Saul will walk through chapter 28 and then I'll show you how Christ saves us from our worst case scenario and how that starts to play out in the Christian life. We'll start with verse one, chapter 28. You guys ready? All right, let's do it. Let's do it. All right, here's what it says. At that time, the Philistines gathered their military units into one army to fight against Israel. It might sound familiar if you've been with us for a bit. So Achish said to David, that's the, the king of the Philistines, said to David, you know, of course, that you and your men must march out in the army with me. Okay, y'all. That's a pretty crazy setting that's unfolding. We talked about it a little bit last week. David spared Saul's life, right? We saw that crisis, conflict, these are opportunities to apply your faith, not decide your faith. We talked about last week. Well, David applied his belief that Saul was the Lord's anointed, so he wasn't gonna kill him. So he said, I'm not gonna kill him. But that means David is now on the run still because Saul is still crazy, all right? So David's still on the run from him and David is forced to hide out in the Philistine region, all right? Here's what happens. David's this mighty warrior, so are the guys that are with him. David becomes like the MVP of the Philistine army, which is pretty crazy considering that's the same army that he took down back in the David and Goliath, Goliath story, right? Well, he's been sort of fighting on their behalf against other nations, which is fine because he's not fighting against God's people, but now we got a little bit of a problem because now the Philistine army is gathering to fight Israel, to fight against Saul, the Lord's anointed, who David will not fight against. All right, so this is, this is wild to me. He's fighting for this army that he just fought against. Well, David knows he, he can't go into this battle, but he's kind of stuck because this king has just told him he has to. So he gives a pretty cryptic, clever response, kind of has this classic David trash talk vibe to it. Look what he says, verse two. David replied to Achish, good, you'll find out what your servant can do. He's like, watch me work is what he's about. So Achish said to David, all right, very well, I will appoint you as my permanent bodyguard. This king is no dummy. David's a great warrior 
And the best leaders keep their friends close, but their enemies closer, right? That's what he's doing right here. And look, they're, they're in the Philistine camp. You can see things starting to line up. If you remember David and Goliath, 1 Samuel 17, David was over on this side. Now as they're lining up, he's over on this side, verse three. We kind of take a, a little bit of a, a jump out of the battle lines being drawn and we get a little history. Well, by this time, Samuel had died. All Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his city. And Saul had removed the mediums and spiritists from the land. When you see spiritists, if the word necromancer helps you, that's the same word there. It's the conjurer of the dead. One who brings people back from the dead, brings spirits back from the dead. This is what they call in studying your Bible context, okay? You need to know these things in order to understand everything that's about to unfold in this chapter. We already knew Samuel died from back in chapter 25, but it's important that you remember fresh on your mind, Samuel is dead as we enter into this. The other piece of information important today, Saul has already kicked out all of these conjurers of the dead from the land. These are people who are practicing with dangerous things that they can't control. And for the good of his people, God has already forbidden for any of them to be in the land. God has given his people access to he himself. When it comes to the spiritual realm, God has given his people access to himself. They don't need anything else. And that represents the realm of his enemy. And so he has kicked them out. They were to depend on the Lord alone. And Saul's done a good thing kicking them out. By the way, this is Leviticus 20, one of several passages in the Old Testament law, God's law, that's gonna say, get them out. He says, whoever turns to mediums or spiritists, and look what he says, and prostitutes himself within. I'll turn against that person. You see this? Because it's gonna be worst case scenario. I will turn against that person and cut him off from his people. To consult a medium, a spirit, a necromancer, a witch, was the equivalent of cheating on God with a cheap substitute. And this is repeated multiple times, like I said, in the law. So King Saul, he had done a great job by getting these people out of the land, getting this practice out of God's people. He had obeyed the Lord, but it's really interesting how the condition of your heart gets revealed when clouds start forming. Watch what happens, verse four. The Philistines gathered and camped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel and they camped at Gilboa. Those lines, right? Those battle lines. When Saul, 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 little tongue twister, Saul, Saul, the Philistine camp, he was afraid and his heart's pounding. This is the same army, same battle lines that God has already delivered them from. He's already done this. God has already given them victory. But here's Saul with the same setting and he's scared. And I'm talking that kind of panic where you know it, your adrenaline is pumping so hard, you can hear your heart beating in your eardrums. You know what I mean? It's a that's what's happening to Saul. He's in panic mode. And this reveals just how much, listen, as you read 1 Samuel, what you're seeing over and over, what I've been trying to show you is a contrast between King Saul and David, the future king. And right here, it's revealed so beautifully. This contrast is for our good. Saul is fearing at the very same moment back in 1 Samuel 17, David, a young boy, doesn't have a fear at all because he knows the Lord his God is with him. He remembers, well, verse six, here's what happens to Saul. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him in dreams or by the Urim or by the prophets. He took the right step, seek the Lord. 
But this is common for Saul in panic mode. In panic mode, he goes running real quick to the Lord. That's when he seeks him real quick. Not all the time is panic mode. And at the moment, the Lord doesn't answer Saul because the spirit of the Lord had left Saul way back when Saul turned from the Lord. Saul decided to do things Saul's way. Samuel had already told him that the Lord had rejected Saul as king because of Saul's rebellion against God. And in fact, Samuel warned Saul about the very thing Saul's about to do. Back in 1 Samuel 15, the prophet Samuel said, rebellion, <laughs> rejecting God is like the sin of divination, which is the very thing that we talked about with the medium spiritus, the conjuring up from the dead. It's like that. And defiance is like wickedness and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has rejected you, Saul. Well, in the greatest of ironies, where does Saul turn next? Verse seven, Saul said to his servants, find me a woman who is a medium so I can go and consult with her. He turns to the very thing Samuel had compared his rebellion to. Your rebellion is like divination. Where does he turn in his panic? To divination. To the very things God has forbidden and the very things Saul himself had outlawed in obedience to God. The irony here is thick. And his servants replied, well, there's a woman at Endor who is a medium. And the Star Wars fans went, wait a second. Endor? Is this medium small furry good at throwing rocks? Like, are we really, is this happening? And the rest of you groan and roll your eyes. And that's what my wife's been doing for 19 years, okay? So Star Wars fans are not. Here's what happens. Verse eight, Saul disguised himself by putting on different clothes and set out with two of his men. They came to the woman at night and Saul said, consult a spirit for me. Bring up for me the one I tell you. But the woman said to him, surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and spiritists from the land. Why are you setting a trap for me to get me killed? In other words, are you a narc? If you're a narc, you have to tell me if you're a narc. That's what's happening right in this moment, right? Verse 10, Saul swore to her by the Lord. And he uses the very words that David has been using. As surely as the Lord lives. No punishment will come to you from this. Y'all, in his panic, he directly defies the Lord. And it's almost like they know what he's saying. Because the one thing we can be certain of is punishment will come from directly defying the Lord. Well, he just goes, he's, he's sealing his fate with all this. Verse 11, she says, who is it that you want me to bring up for you? The woman asks, bring up Samuel for me, he answered. Well, when the woman saw Samuel, she screamed and she asked Saul, why did you deceive me? You are Saul. Look, there's something about this moment that we're not exactly privy to that it frightens her. It could be that she's more of a con artist. She usually kind of fakes her way through this and now something real is happening and it frightens her. We don't know. What we know that somehow revealing Samuel also reveals Saul's identity to her. And now she's scared because Saul's the very one who outlawed the very thing that she is doing in this very moment, right? Verse 13, the king said to her, don't be afraid. What do you see? I see a spirit coming up out of the earth, the woman answered. And then Saul asked her, what does he look like? An old man is coming up, she replied. He's wearing a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. 
and he knelt low with his face to the ground and paid homage. Okay. Things are about to get weird. Okay. Um, maybe they kind of already have. All right. Uh, here in this passage. Well, what's about to happen is Saul and dead Samuel are about to have a conversation. Okay. Now, back in my intro to the book of 1 Samuel, I told you this is a wild book, and I didn't even bring up ghosts or anything like that, okay? This thing is wild, but here we are. And I imagine you have some questions about this, like all the questions. That's what you have about our ghost reel. Where was Samuel? Does this happen? Is this what Ouija boards are for? Like, what's going on with this? I want to give you just a couple of minutes kind of as a pastoral aside, it's my job to disciple you in following Jesus. And I want you to have some handles on how to think about witchcraft and the spiritual realm and everything else. All right. Uh, look, I want you, how do we think about this as a Christian? Let me give you maybe three little side points on this moment right here. Okay. First of all, the spiritual realm and the supernatural, they are real. That's the first thing I need you to hear is that they are real. God, this is what scripture tells you. God is real. The devil is real. Angels are real. Demons are real. Supernatural things like healings and miracles and also the other side of it and supernatural evil, all of it is real. And in fact, I would argue that that is reality. We are not, uh, and by the way, the spiritual realm and the physical realm aren't two separate things like the show Stranger Things where you can hop over into the upside down or something like that, okay? It's, they exist together. You are, as a human, both a physical and spiritual being. That's what scripture tells you, which makes sense of why Jesus is going to tell you, love the Lord your God. He's going to be quoting Deuteronomy, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Like He's weaving these two things together because you are a physical and spiritual being. The other thing I want to say about supernatural happening, listen, if you struggle with this idea of Samuel's spirit showing up here, I want to remind you, Christian, you worship a guy that came back from the dead, like spiritually and physically came back from the dead. So if you don't, don't get hung up here, get hung up in the gospel where your God came back from the dead. And if you're not a Christian and you're checking out the Christian faith, my encouragement to you is the same thing. You need to decide whether Jesus came back from the dead. And let's worry about that because that's the thing that matters most to Christianity. In fact, if he didn't, the scriptures, Paul himself says, we're to be most pitied of all people. So deal there and then let your, how you're informed there make something like the spirit of Samuel coming and having this conversation a possibility or not, which we as Christians are going to say, of course. Why would we suggest anything else? Of course, the supernatural is possible and the spiritual realm is real. Here's the second thing I'll tell you. God has made a way for you to access the spiritual realm. It's himself. Christian, you had been given the promised Holy Spirit. That is God himself. And Romans 8 says, when you pray, God's spirit intercedes on your behalf. He is, he's talking to God the Father through the gift of God the Son, God the Spirit is talking to God the Father. You have access to the ocean of God's power. So why would you settle? Because this is the third thing I want to say. We are called to flee from the darkness that God has saved us from. What, why would you even go playing with the occult? That's like playing in a mud puddle when God has given you the ocean. That's why C.S. Lewis talked about it. 
Don't go playing in that stuff that is dangerous for you. Jesus says in John 14, that's the realm of the enemy. Don't go playing in the realm of the enemy. When he has given you access to all the spiritual power you will ever need and more, right? You have the power to move mountains of faith the size of a mustard seed. Don't go playing with that. But listen, don't be surprised when evil comes in very real forms. Don't be surprised by it. That's why Ephesians 6 is gonna say, put on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of be strengthened by the Lord and his vast strength, Ephesians 6.10. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Because look y'all, in our current uh, study was done two years ago, there are currently 1.5 practicing, 1.5 million practicing pagans in the United States of America. Like self-identifying Satan worshipers, witches, uh, et cetera, okay? That, that number has grown significantly over the past 20 years from like 200,000 to 1.5 million. What I'm telling you is the devil and his schemes are real in this world. And verse 12 of Ephesians 6 says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. It's real. So for this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. I'm telling you, it's real, it's deadly, and it's deceiving. But if you're in Christ, you will be able to feel the darkness around it. That's the enemy's camp. You're called not to play with it, but to armor up against it and flee it. Because the goal of that witchcraft, of that darkness is to destroy you. Plain and simple. Saul disobeys God's law. And the end result is not only an affirmation, it's not only um, that he is cut off, but it's an affirmation from Samuel here that he's cut off. Nothing good comes from Saul playing with these spirits, only a death sentence. And that's a good warning for us. With all that said, spiritual realm is real. You have access to that realm through God himself with you. So don't go playing in darkness that's a mud puddle anyways. With that said, let's see what happens here in this conversation between Saul and Samuel. Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Samuel asked Saul. I'm in serious trouble, replied Saul. Understatement. Um, The Philistines are fighting against me and God has turned away from me. He doesn't answer me anymore, either through the prophets or in dreams. So I've called on you to tell me what I should do. Listen to me right there. It's the saddest words in scripture. God has turned away from me. There's nothing worse. It's Saul's worst case scenario. Enemies surrounding me, yes, that's bad, but God's people get surrounded all the time. What's bad, the reality is setting in that Samuel has been telling him for some time, but now it's hit him in full. God has turned away from him. That's the, nothing worse than that. That's one of the takeaways for today, y'all. In Saul's story, the worst thing that could ever happen to you is for God to turn away from you, for you to be cut off from God forever. Saul, his purpose in this book, we've been saying it for some time now, is to serve as a tragic warning to us. This tragic figure that if all who read it will hear this and see him, this is why he turned from God. He kept turning from God and eventually God turned away from him. 
There is nothing scarier, nothing more hopeless, nothing worse than God turning from you, which means you spending forever apart from him. But I promise there's hope coming. Verse 16, Samuel answered, since the Lord has turned away from you and has become your enemy, why are you asking me? The Lord has done exactly what he said through me. The Lord has torn the kingship out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. You did not obey the Lord, did not carry out his burning anger against Amalek. This is, well, suffice it to say, Saul didn't do what Saul was told to do, all right? Therefore, the Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will also hand Israel over to the Philistines along with you. And tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. In other words, you and your sons are going to die tomorrow. And the Lord will hand Israel's army over to the Philistines. It's over, Saul. You will die tomorrow. And if you read chapters 29 through 31, the rest of 1 Samuel, you'll see the battle. Sure enough, the story unfolds just as Samuel says. David, who was over in that Philistine camp trying to figure out how do I not get killed by them, but also not fight for them and kill Israel. David gets sent away by the Philistine army. He's, he's going to be all right. The Lord provides for David. And then the Philistines attack Saul and his sons. And among those sons, David's good friend, Jonathan, we saw um, back in 18, they're all killed. First Samuel ends very bleak. The king is dead and the kingdom is overrun by their enemies. But back to the moment here though, this woman this necromancer, the spiritist, after all of this happens, she's like, I, I got to do something for you guys, trying to make amends a little bit here. So she makes Saul eat a meal that she prepares, even though Saul is just in a place of abject despair and doesn't really want to eat. Watch what happens. The woman had a fattened calf at her house, verse 24. She quickly slaughtered it. She also took flour, kneaded it, and baked unleavened bread. She served it to Saul and his servants, and they ate. Afterward, they got up and left that night. This whole thing transpires at night. In the dark, listen to me, in the dark of night, after eating a meal, they slink off into the darkness of their doomed fate. Pretty bleak, right? What do we do with this? All right. What do we do with this? Let me keep our sermon points very simple by way of application today. I want to be clear about the worst thing that can happen to you and then why it can't happen to you in Christ. Look, the worst thing that can happen to you is for God to turn away from you. I think it's important to grab the weight of this statement. To get that, you gotta understand that you were made by God and you were made for God. You weren't just made by God, you were made for him, to have relationship with him. Your created purpose is to know him and walk with him to experience deep communion with him here in this life and forevermore. The blessing that the people of God in the Old Testament used to say to one another from number six, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord what? Make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. You see that? That face, that's relational presence with the Lord. May the Lord look with favor on you. And by him looking with favor on you, he will give you peace. The blessing of the face of God, that's the blessing of relationship with God. That is the good life. God's presence with us is the one source of certain comfort and security that we have in a world filled with uncertainty and a lot of insecurity. And we tend to like, 
We tend to try and create little bubbles where bad things won't ever happen to us, but we all know how fragile life really is. But the psalmist says, Psalm 73, as for me, God's presence, that's my good. I've made the Lord God my refuge so I can tell about all you do. That's the one certain thing that life cannot take away from us. It's the great promise of God to his people recorded in Jeremiah 29, verse 13. You'll seek me and you will find me. Find me to be found, to be with now when you search for me with all your heart. The worst case scenario, y'all, it's not your physical death. It's not the death of someone you love. It's not failure or rejection. The worst case scenario is spiritual death. It's for God to turn away from you and you to spend this life and eternity apart from him. That's what we receive because of our sin. Listen, the penalty of our sin was death. And the ultimate stage of death is separation from God forever. The penalty of your sin and mine is death. And the ultimate, the finality of that death is separation from God. That's what we earn for our sin. It is horrifying. It's like what we talked about earlier in the series. God gave Israel over to their desires and gave them a king. And what's the result? Just the unraveling of their whole kingdom. Romans 1 says God's judgment on unrepentant sin is giving you over to your desires, to what you want, which leads to your destruction, not to your good, to separation from him. And that's what makes the gospel, when you get how horrifying, how worst case scenario it is that you could be apart from God. And in fact, your sin has separated you from God. When you get that, that's what makes the gospel so powerful, right? Because the good news of the gospel is God turned away from Jesus. And if you believe the gospel, that means he won't forsake you. He won't turn away from you because he turned away from Christ. Such good news to offer you guys. Think about this image of Saul eating this meal at night and then slinking away into the darkness. You know what it sounds like? It sounds like Judas. Eats the meal there with Jesus and the disciples. And then Jesus looks at him and says, go and do what you came here to do. And he slinks off into the darkness, which represents the darkness of his heart, the darkness of the sin that he's about to commit. He chose to rebel against God And then Judas, after he did it, he scrambled at the last minute, trying to get back in right relationship with God who had already turned from him. And Judas serves in the gospels as that same warning as King Saul to us. But then we look at Jesus and we see Jesus substituting himself into our worst case scenario. Our sin is our rebellion against God. And the payment for our sin is death. The penalty is just like God did with Saul, just like he did with Judas. It's turning away from us and us spending eternity in hell apart from him. And out of his great love for us, Jesus goes willingly, willingly up to the cross in our our place. But the y'all, his greatest pain is not the physical crucifixion. It's the moment Jesus himself is forsaken by God. This is Matthew 27 from noon until about three in the afternoon. What is there? Darkness covers the whole land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you 
abandoned me. Jesus in this moment is experiencing the full penalty of our rebellion, of our sin. He's experiencing our worst case scenario. And if you're thinking, wait, I thought Jesus was God. How can God be separated from God? It's actually a really wonderful question because it's a true mystery. The way Martin Luther said it, he said, God forsaken of God. How can he expect us to understand? But it's not a separation of essence. It's a separation of fellowship. The presence that he had enjoyed from eternity, the presence that he had leaned on in the garden of Gethsemane is now ripped away. It was hell because hell is abandonment by God. And he hung there after living the perfect life, not deserving to be there. He stood or hung in our place of condemnation. He received my beating. He now faces my abandonment from God. And all our fears about hell, he absorbs into his body. He drank our cup all the way to the dregs. That's the good news of the gospel. We who deserve the father turning his face away, turned away from Christ instead. And so he turns towards us with his son's payment in his hands and says, be reconciled to me. Come back to me. Just like the prodigal father says to his two sons, because of what he did, come home. The promise of the New Testament is that we who are alienated from God because of our sin can now draw near to God, James 4, 8. We can draw near to God and he won't turn his face away. He will draw near to us. That's a miracle. That is a miracle that comes to you because he turned away from Christ. See, Christian, remember we talked about last week, crisis and conflict. We recall who God is and who he says you are. Take a moment, look at your worst case scenario and see your worst case scenario is that he has separated, he would, you would be separated from him. And Christ says, no, I'm gonna have victory over that. I'm gonna have victory over it. That's the provision of God. Because y'all listen, we, we come here and we gather and it's right and good that the church gathers together to encourage one another because some of you are hurting deeply. You cover it with smiles, but you're human and you hurt. You're in the midst of a great storm. The waves of pain are high. The decks of your life are awash in anguish. And man, I want to offer you what this guy Bruce Tillman said in his book, The Cry of Mystery. He said, I can't offer you a formula that will make all the pain go away, but I can say this to you. Once on a sunny hillside in Galilee, Jesus taught his disciples to pray, our father who art in heaven. And that was very good for us. And then once on a dark hill called Calvary, Jesus taught us that we could pray our father who went to hell for us. And that's even better. Because in the darkness that we all experience, what we need to know most Man, we need to know his love. That's how much he loved you. Jesus drank the cup of suffering so that you and I could drink the cup of love. And the Christian life is letting that victory fill, as you used last week's metaphor, fill your cup. Letting that victory fill your heart. Awareness of how bad it would be without him. 
how glorious it is that we can now turn and not only be saved from eternity apart from him, but we turn and are brought into relationship as son or daughter through Christ. If you'll let that victory, Christian, start to seep into your heart and mind, it'll start to change the way you see everything. All of a sudden, worst case scenarios that exist out in our world won't be quite so worst case because you remember who God is and who you are in light of who he is. If you're not a Christian, listen, the only hope that we offer is the hope of Jesus who went up on the cross for you and who rose again from the grave, giving us victory over sin and death. And he extends it out, that payment, he extends it out to you and says, come home, son, come home, daughter, you can have relationship with me. Let me pray for you, then we'll transition into a time of response at both of our campuses. Father, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for your grace. We don't deserve it, but you give it to us out of your great love for us. So we say thank you. We worship you. Father, I want to take a second and pray against fear. A spirit from the enemy used to try and push us away from you and try to lean on our own selves and own confidence in ourselves. God, would you lift the eyes of our church, each one of us, to the cross and the empty tomb. And there in the empty tomb, will we see our worst case scenario can never happen to us. We have victory. I want you to take a second and just think about what's the worst case that you've been thinking on, dwelling on. What's the thing that's got you worried, concerned? I just want you to give that over to God. See the empty tomb. See the cross where he's in your place. See the empty tomb. Say, God, here, down at your feet. And in light of your victory, I give this to you. If you're not a Christian, I invite you to receive the hope of the gospel right now. God, I believe you died for me. And that's the only way that my worst case scenario, it's the only way that can be resolved is by me receiving the forgiveness you want for you. Would you receive that? To God, I believe I'm a sinner. I believe you died for me. I receive it now. Thank you, God, for saving me. We worship you. We praise you, Father. Would our time of response from here be humble celebration by your people that you have won by your blood for your glory. Pray it in Christ's name. Amen.